begin first of all by doing this. Some of you are like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and some of you joined right in, thank you. And those are wondering what that's all about. I just gave you a hand for coming to church when it's minus 40. You deserve that. In fact, I'm going to give you an ovation. <laughs> so I know some of you are thinking, yeah, you're paid to come to church, Pastor, so that's why you're here. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for taking seriously this habit of coming to church every week, no matter what. And... Um, I think I'm going to have to ask people to start, some of you, to start coming to the first service because we are just about out of room in here, which is, um, I think, a relatively good problem, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So if uh, some of you could just help us out by coming to the first service, uh, that would really uh, be great. And for those of you who are visiting, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We are in the middle of, I shouldn't say the middle, we are coming to the end of a special series called The Seven Habits of Serious Christ Followers. And the habit that we're going to be reviewing today is the one that Dennis alluded to. It's making disciples. Now, for some of you who have no clue what that means, don't panic. I'm going to tell you all about it in just a moment. But let me begin by saying that on Thursday, the world lost a hero, one of the great men of uh, the past, well, of our generation. His name is Nelson Mandela. You know who he is. And for those of you who are a little younger, you probably don't remember all of what took place. So I'm just going to quickly uh, bring you up to speed. Nelson Mandela was a Methodist Christian uh, who truly moved by God to make a difference in his world, horrified at the evil of the apartheid system, rose up with a group of others who were committed to the cause and said, we have had enough. We don't want to see this anymore. And what you have to understand is that protesting in South Africa, the way he was protesting is not the same as protesting here in Canada. Here in Canada, everybody knows we can protest whatever we want. Um, but that's not the way it is there. And I, uh, obviously I'm not an expert in South African politics. I'm not an expert on Nelson Mandela's life. But I can tell you this, as a young man, I, I, remember, I remember reading about him, and I particularly remember when he was released from prison. I remember the great buildup to that, to that day. Uh, it was in the, it was, he made the headlines. He was on the cover of McLean's magazine, the Time magazine. I remember no pictures had ever been taken of Nelson Mandela. And so what they did is they actually got an artist to give a rendering of what he would probably look like based on some of the older photographs. And so it was great anticipation. We were all looking forward to the day when Nelson Mandela would be released from prison. What was his crime? His crime was that he hated the apartheid system. It was it's a system that was basically uh, all about racism, all about segregation, discrimination. It was a definite uh, divide between the blacks and the whites. He recognized as a Christian that all men are created equal. He recognized that as a Christian, that to do nothing would be against his faith. And so he rose up and he did what any serious Christ follower would do. And he began the fight. Now, can I just remind everybody today that whenever you make the step of being truly committed to Christ and being prepared to really do what God wants you to do, you need to understand that wherever there's commitment, there's going to be sacrifice. 
Nelson Mandela, with, with great sacrifice, ended up going to jail for 27 years. For 27 years in jail, and never losing his heart or his vision for a land that was free, where there was no difference between black and white. And that, my friends, was the beginning of the story. When he was released, he could very easily have led the cause of revenge against the white man, and they would have been absolutely justified in it, except that as a Christian, he knew that that was not the best way to go. And so rather than leading revenge, what he brought, what he led was reconciliation. Massive sacrifice, massive dedication, but massive sacrifice to himself. He led the charge towards reconciliation. And today, we look back and we see that, in fact, South Africa experienced what we would call maybe a velvet revolution, very little bloodshed compared to the revolutions we've seen through the centuries in different places. Why? Because there's a man who took seriously the call to follow God and to do God's will. Now, I want to remind everybody here today that if you want your life to have significance, now this is, this is the secret that is in plain view. If you want to live a significant life, if you want to live a life of greatness, if you want to be great, if you want your life to count, then my friends, what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to learn the importance, the significance of commitment. And it comes at a price. There's sacrifice involved. Now, these seven habits that we're talking about, I'm going to just be really, really honest with you. They're not easy. But everybody understands that with no pain, there's no, no gain. If you are going to grow in your faith, if you're going to grow and, and, and become all that God wants you to become, if you're going to actually be used by God to do great things in this world, then, my friends, here's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to make the commitment. And with the commitment comes sacrifice. Many of us are content just to stay where we are, do what we're doing, and just don't, Pastor, don't, just, don't shake my world. Let me go on doing my insignificant things. Let me go on in my insignificance. Can I just tell you something? You and I were created in the image of God. You and I were not created to be insignificant or to do insignificant things. Created in the image of God, you and I were created to be significant and do significant things for God's glory and honor. My question to you today is this. What are you doing? If you should die, would anybody miss you? Oh, Maybe a few friends and family that will definitely cry, I hope. But will anybody really miss you? Will you have made a difference in this world? Because here's what you need to understand about Christianity, about following Jesus Christ. You and I, as I pointed out in the message on serving, you and I are created to be God's hands and feet in this broken and hurting world. You and I are God's agents in this world to make a difference. What you and I are called to do is habit number six, is to go and make disciples. Now look what Jesus says here in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. These are Jesus' last instructions before he leaves this earth. And here's what he says. Go and what? In all the nations, 
baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. My friends, whether you know it or not, this, little, this simple instruction is what changes the world. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There's been a lot of scurrilous things that have been said against the church and particularly against Christianity. Some sociologists have called us cultural assassins, that we go, we send our missionaries in and we, we kill cultures. I'm going to tell you something. First of all, that is a gross, gross generalization. I'm going to tell you what we really do. If by killing a culture you mean that we go into a country like India, for instance, and we stop the burning of widows, yes, that's right, you heard me right, it wasn't that long ago, where in India, if a man died, then his wives, who were still alive, were burned on his funeral pyre with him. If by cultural assassination you mean that, then I say, I'm glad to be a Christian. If by giving women equal rights to men... If you call that cultural assassination, then I'll say, I'm glad to be a Christian. Because I'm going to tell you this, Jesus Christ was the very first one who ever came along to recognize the equality of women with men. Does everybody understand that today? People don't understand what Christianity is about because we've got a negative message in the media that tells us what to believe. And we believe it, hook, line, and sinker. You don't want to know what's wrong with our culture and what's wrong with this generation is we don't think anymore. We don't read anymore. We don't jump in and figure out the facts for ourselves. We just swallow what it's ever given to us. And I say shame on us. So here's what you and I need to do. You and I need to get serious about being intellectually honest, truly honest with the facts. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Christianity, at its core, folks, is not about bringing a blanket of of heaviness to destroy the, 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 the parties that you want to have, to rain on your parade, It's not about putting on a blanket of oppression upon people because this is the the nonsense that you're going to hear from someone like Richard Dawkins. That's not what it's about at all. And this is the problem with those who are on the outside looking in. They make their assumptions. They don't enter into dialogue. They don't ask questions. They make their pronouncements, and we all just believe it. I'm going to tell you, folks, what Christianity is really all about. Christianity is all about helping you achieve and have an abundant life. It's all about making your life better. Following Jesus Christ is all about having a better life. Now, if you want to accuse me of trying to help people have a better life, then accuse away. I'll take it. I'll take it right right, right on the cheek. Both cheeks, for that matter. All my cheeks, for that matter. (laughs) Those who keep laughing, I'm going to pay you after. That's good. This is good. Makes me look good. Now listen, you and I, Jesus has called us to go and bring this message of abundant life to a broken and hurting world. Do you want to know who is always the first on the front lines whenever there's a disaster in the world? It's the church. 
Who are the first ones to go and build clinics in countries where there's no health, no aid, no medicine? It's the Christians. We're the first ones. We're the ones that taught the world how to do this. Now, I'm going to tell you, the secular world has learned well from us, and they're doing it now. But I'm going to tell you, it was Christians, it was the church that led the way, that led the charge in making this world a better place. Now, when Jesus calls us to go into the world and make disciples, you know, look at some people think, oh, you've got to go and proselytize and turn them into Christians. Listen, this is, not, this, is, this is a simplistic rendering of this. This is not what we're doing. What we're doing is we're going and bringing hope to a broken and hurting world. We're going to change this world to make it a better world, a world where God gives us instructions and guidance on how to live this life and how to get this life right. This book, the Bible, is a guideline for your marriage, it's a guideline for your family life, it's a guideline for how to work and get, and get work and how to be successful at work. This book is extremely practical. It tells you how to have an abundant life. Now Jesus is saying, go into the world and make disciples. Teach the world this good news, this instruction that will make people's lives better, that will improve the lives of women, that will improve the lives of those who are sick, those who are rejected, those who are hated, those who are addicted, those who are in bondage, those who are in slavery. Yes, the church is leading the way. I could keep you here all day telling you what the church is doing around the world today, trying to make it a better world. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Now listen, I gotta tell you that this command to go and make disciples is actually a coin with two sides. And before we're talking about the, the side that says go into all the world and, and evangelize people and tell them about Jesus, first of all, what we need to do is we need to talk about our own personal discipleship. And so I want to ask you the question today, where are you in terms of your own personal growth and development, spiritually speaking? Are you developing? I mean, certainly this, uh, this passage of Scripture is referring to going into the world and telling people about Jesus, doing evangelism, that sort of thing. But it begins, first of all, with you and what God wants to do in your life. Now, here's what I've discovered, folks. There's people who go to church all their life, but they never change. It's still the same. In fact, there's a few people in our church, and I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody, I'm not mentioning names, but they're exactly the same as they were um, 10 years ago. They haven't grown, they haven't changed. They've been busy, involved, love to be involved, love to serve, love to get involved, love to do things. But listen to me, listen. The idea of being a disciple, which is, by the way, just another way of saying Christ follower. Christ follower, disciple means the same thing. The idea of being a disciple means that you are, and here's what it literally means. It's a beautiful word. The Greek, methotevo, um, uh, means simply this. It means that you are a learning believer. So you don't just believe in God. You don't just believe in Jesus Christ. You don't just believe that Jesus died on the cross. You are somebody who continues to learn, continues to grow. So are you growing? Are you different today than you were a year ago? Because I'm gonna tell you this, that if you are not careful about continuing to grow spiritually yourself, then uh, I, can, I can give a little prophecy here. It'll just be a matter of time before you don't serve God anymore at all. It'll be just a matter of time before your heart grows cold you start losing interest and you start believing the lies of people like Richard Dawkins and the other pundits on TV 
You see, you need, first of all, to maintain your close walk with God. This is why, folks, we talk about the other habits first. This is why I've waited till point six, to habit six, to even mention this. Because some of us are so energetic and so enthusiastic, we want to get out there and do the job of making disciples. But first, first, there's got to be evidence of the first six habits in your life, or first five habits in your life. You have to have a daily walk with God. You, you, you've got to go to church every week. You say, but pastor, what if I got to work? Talk to your boss. Law says you, you, you should be able to go to church. He said, but I'm busy. I've got things to do. I don't feel well. Go to church. It's a habit. You've got to make moment-by-moment decisions to do what Jesus wants you to do. Remember we said that the moment-by-momentness of the faith means, and this is what holiness is, it means that you simply say, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do what you want me to do. It means that you're involved in a small group, connecting with other people who have the same faith as you because you become like the people you hang with. It means that you serve. Man, it was great to see the kids serving yesterday. All these young people in here serving here till midnight and then in church this morning. Minus 40, no sleep, and they're in church, and I say, man, they deserve a, a standing ovation. For those who become members of our church, what we do is we give them a towel with our logo and our name on it. Cross church for life. Why do we do that? Because what does it mean to be, to be a, a member of a church? It means that you're, you're here to serve. You're here to make a difference. So here's the thing. You're going to be engaged in the process of making disciples, of telling others about Jesus Christ, of leading others into a relationship with Jesus Christ, because really, folks, this is what we're talking about. It's introducing your friends to Jesus. If you're going to do that, you have to have your own personal relationship with God, because here's what, here's what I've discovered. People know if you're a fraud or not. They know if you're a phony. What's the biggest accusation against Christians. We're all a bunch of, uh, yeah, some of you answered that too quick. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Does anybody know the root word of the word hypocrite or actor? It means actor. <laughs> no offense, Mark. <laughs> Who's our actor? <laughs> it means that you're acting. That's what hypocrite means. It means you're an actor. You're just pretending to be something. It's just absolutely critical that before you go and make disciples, you first of all make a disciple of yourself. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, here's what you do. When you come to church on Sunday and hear me speaking about the seven habits, you engage with me because I can't wave my magic wand over you and magically make you a disciple. You've got to engage with me. You've got to work with me. Work with me, people. You've got to be prepared to do the things that I'm telling you you need to do. So if I say to you, for instance, you need to read your Bible and pray every day for 10 or 15 minutes... I can't make you do that. I can't show up at your house, knock on the door at 6 o'clock in the morning and saying, are you reading your Bible? What are you doing in bed? Get out of bed. You've got to read your Bible. I can't do that. I can't even do that with my own kids. <laughs> you have to engage with me. It's something you need to do. So what you need to do is you need to make yourself a disciple first. In other words, you need to engage. There's a fellow that was in our youth group years ago, Calvary Temple, uh, the days of Gary Beasley. So we're going back to the 70s. That just shows how old uh, I am. 
I was in youth group when I was just six. There's this one fellow that was incredibly energetic, bold. He was a guy that was always bringing tons and tons of people to church. There'd be a whole section. He would have a whole row of kids, and they were like, where did you get them all from? Oh, I just brought them in from the streets. I just said, come on to church with me. And they came. And he was the kid that was sort of the, the, the star because he was so good at bringing people to church. Well, I ran into him not that long ago. And I said, oh, so good to see you. I haven't seen you for years. It's been like 30, 35 years since I last saw you. I said, it's good to see you. And he said, um, who are you? <laughs> and I told him who I was. I don't, I, I don't think he really knew who I was even after I said it, but I knew who he was. And the reason I knew who he was is because he truly was a star. He was bringing all kinds of people to church, really fulfilling this passage of scripture that says, go and make disciples of all nations. So I said, what's going on in your life? He goes, well, I don't go to church anymore. Oh, you could have pushed me over the feather. So what, what happened? I just lost interest. It doesn't do anything for me anymore. Really? You were the, the one that made the biggest sacrifices. The, you made the boldest moves. Nobody was a Christian like you were. I mean, he carried a great big Thompson chain reference Bible under his arm. It was massive. It was this thick, full of notes and all kinds of things and highlighters and pens and rulers. I mean, he looked like the Christian. Got talking a little bit longer. Started asking a few questions. It turns out that while this guy was so busy, involved in the Christian club, that he forgot what it was really all about. While he was busy trying to make disciples, he stopped being a disciple himself. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Because if there's anything the church is guilty of, we're really, really very guilty of making people busy and not being sure that they are maintaining their own personal relationship with Christ. And so for this reason, I don't list this habit until nearly the end, because I want to make sure that you have your own personal relationship, your own daily walk with God, so that when you do go to make disciples, people will recognize that you are the real deal, that you're authentic. I tell the young guys that I work with, the young, the, the, these young ministers just starting out in their, in their ministry and some of the interns, I say this to them. Look at the thing that gives you authority, the things that makes you stand out as being somebody worth listening to is that you actually practice what you preach. How many of us are guilty? Don't put your hand up. How many of us are guilty of not practicing what we preach all the time? How many of us know pastors, preachers, that don't practice what they preach? And of course, you know, we've had so many scandals over the years, and every time I hear Reverend this and Reverend that on the news, I inwardly cringe because I want to know what's coming next. I don't even use the term Reverend anymore, and I don't, I don't call myself pastor, I just call myself Alan, because I don't want any negative connotations and negative repercussions from the, from the title. Why? There's been too many people who haven't 
walked the talk. What about you? Where are you at spiritually? When people listen to you, you think, well, here's a big phony, or do they hear the real deal? You talk about your relationship to God, you talk about the fact that you go to cross church. I hope you're living up to the standard of Jesus Christ. I would hate for people to think that people who go to cross church are hypocrites. Listen, we have the greatest message on earth, a message of hope, a message of peace and joy. And it comes through committing our lives to Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus has called us to go, to go into all the world to help people get to know our best friend. His name is Jesus. To go into all the world and call people to come and follow this Jesus who wants to give them abundant life. Have you been sharing your faith with anybody? Well, make sure that your life is where it needs to be. And once you've done that, then then by all means, go. Go and make disciples. Go and share your faith. Go and tell people about the Lord that you love so much. Go and tell people about your best friend. Because by the way, Jesus chooses to describe himself as our best friend. He's approachable. And you have heard me say this many times. It's about relationship. This faith that we have, this faith that we call Christianity, it's all about relationship with Almighty God. It's all about relationship with Jesus Christ. Where he walks with us and he talks with us. And he tells us moment by moment what we need to do. For so many people, Christianity is merely a religion. You want to know what a religion is? A religion is something where you pick up the checklist and you say, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done everything I need to do. I've kept all the commandments, I've kept all the rules, all the laws, and everything's cool. No, 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 it's, this is like so wrong. Christianity is about a relationship with God. And these habits that we're talking about, these habits are simply the evidence that you have a relationship with God. Keeping these seven habits is not going to get you to heaven. Did you hear me? The only thing that gets you and I to heaven, folks, is that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Your good works won't get you to heaven. The Bible's very, very clear about that, and you can read all about it in the book of Romans, particularly first three chapters. We're talking about a relationship with God. And we're going into the world to tell others that they also can have a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus who truly loves them. Want to know when I first heard about this this business of making disciples? There's a term for it. We call it discipleship. Maybe some of you have heard of it. The very first time I ever heard of discipleship was from Marilyn Wedlake. Now that goes back about 35, almost 40 years ago. 35 years ago. It was, it was a revolutionary thought to me because here's, the, here's, the, here's what discipleship is really all about. It's all about telling people how to have a relationship with God. It's all about helping people to grow. It's all about teaching people everything that Jesus commanded. And I'll tell you, it, 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 it was so exciting to me that it became my passion. It's all I've ever wanted to do ever since I heard about it. In fact, here's the thing with Marilyn Wedlake. 
Um, she will disciple anything that's in her path. You know, if she comes across anything, she's going to disciple it. So if you're in her path, she's going to disciple it. That's, that's the kind of person that Marilyn is. Energizing, exciting, thrilling. She's going to tell you all about what it means to walk with God, all about what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. So I'm going to ask you a question now. How many of you are discipling anybody right now? You say, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know how to do that. Well, let me tell you. I'm going to tell it to you really simply. So when you leave here today, you'll know how you can make disciples. And the very first thing I'm going to start with is your kids. Did you know that you can disciple your kids? In fact, you're supposed to disciple your kids. You're supposed to lead your children into a relationship with Christ. Now listen, do you want to know why so many kids who grow up in a, in, in a Christian home then when they grow up, they don't serve God anymore. They don't go to church anymore. I'll tell you why. Because somehow, somewhere along the line, something was inconsistent or inauthentic. It wasn't genuine. Here's what we've done with our kids. Now, I know the battle's not over yet. Life's difficult. Who knows what will happen? I pray to God that God will keep my kids safe and that they'll stay on the straight and narrow. That's what I'm praying for. Here's what we've done. We've established a relationship with our kids where we talk about our faith in practical terms. How does it apply to day-to-day living? What do I do in my life? What does Gloria do in her life that demonstrates this Christian life that we, we tell them they need to live? The kids will come home and tell us about situations at school with certain kids at school, and we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll say, well, how does, how does our Christian faith apply in these circumstances? And I'll say to my kids, some of their friends are struggling with drugs or whatever, problems in their home and on and on and on. And we'll say, okay, you see why, you see why we follow Jesus? Do you see why we do what Jesus calls us to do? Do you see why we, we do what Jesus wants us to do? Because we know that when we do what Jesus wants us to do, then we avoid those pitfalls. We avoid that pain. We avoid that suffering. We avoid that struggle. We have very, very intimate, very personal conversations. Talk about sex. Talk about pornography. Talk about what every kid struggles with. Talk about peer pressure. And explain so that it makes sense logically. It makes total sense. Explain why following Jesus and doing it Jesus' way makes the most sense. And to God be the glory, we can say that our kids have missed out on so much of the pain that so many kids go through. Again, I know it's not over yet, folks, and I pray for your kids, and I pray that you'll pray for my kids. But what you need to understand is that your job as a parent is to disciple your kids to teach them the application of this Christian faith. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's all about having a better life. So you disciple your kids. You explain to them why we do things the way we do. We explain why, at least in our family, we don't drink alcohol. We don't go down that road. Explain why. We explain why we go to church every Sunday, no matter what. I mean, I'm still amazed. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Jesse, I mean, he was, so, he was sick, but he played in both service, threw up between services, but was back for the second service. Unbelievable. I'm bragging a bit about my son. But I'm going to tell you this. He understands the importance of serving. He understands the importance of being here, no matter what. 
and it's got a good life because of it. That sounds a bit extreme, doesn't it? Ah, but you see, here's, the, here's what you need to know. This business of following Jesus, it's a radical business, people. Very radical. And nothing is more exciting, nothing is more thrilling than doing what Jesus wants you to do. Now, teach, you've got to teach someone. Teach your kids. Teach your friends. Did you notice I said teach your friends? And that's what Jesus says? He doesn't say go into all the world and say, you're all going to hell. <laughs> Has anybody ever been approached that way before? I have been. In fact, I, there's certain, certain cities um, where there seems to be more people on the street with their big Bibles and preaching on you know, the soapboxes. And I like to have some fun. I like to stand there and listen. I like to watch them try to convert me. I don't tell them I'm a pastor, but I'll sit there and listen to them tell me all the reasons why um, I better turn or burn. By the way, don't recommend you use that phrase. Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to love the world and to save it. So here's what you need to do. You need to enter into a conversation. One of the great thrills of my life was when I was in high school, and if Marianne Carroll is here, I can't see, but if she's here, she'll remember, we used to sit at the table together. There's a group of us. There's one girl that used to sit with us at lunchtime, and that was in the basement of or the cafeteria at St. John's High School. We used to talk about my faith, talk about what, what I believe, going to church, teaching Sunday school. One girl, Terry, she said to me, can you tell me a little bit more about what you believe? I, this was not my cue to pull up the four spiritual laws, get out my Bible, and say, well, I'll be glad to tell you. What I did is I just simply entered into a conversation with her and started telling her about my best friend. His name is Jesus. Here's the difference he's made in my life. Here's what he can do for you. And she would ask me questions every time we sat down for lunch. Somehow she would, it wasn't me pushing this, but somehow she would get the conversation around to talk about my faith. Then one day, out of the blue, she said, Alan, um, I don't know how to say this, but uh, do you think I could go to church with you? And I said, all right. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, this is great. She's going to come and find out about you, my best friend. And so she came to church. That was great. I invited her to a Bible study at my house. And it just so happens that the Bible study at my house uh, was being led by Marilyn Wedlake. And at the end of it all, she said, uh, you know what? I, I want to put my faith in this, this Jesus. I, I, I want to know him. I want to walk with him. I want what you've got. Right there, I can still remember, Marilyn just sitting on the stairs in our house, 1633 Main Street. She prayed and she asked Jesus into her life. And her life was transformed. Teach someone. Teach your kids. Teach your friends. Tell them about Jesus. Teach Sunday school. You want to find somebody who's excited about Sunday school? Talk to Pam Hartree. By the way, December 22nd, our Sunday school kids, our we college kids, are going to be in here doing a special presentation. Pam is just wild about we college. She loves it. She loves the difference it makes in her kids. Guess what? I'm also crazy about Sunday school. I started teaching it when I was 15. You've heard me say that. I'll tell you. 
I learned so much about being a disciple of Jesus Christ by making disciples of Jesus Christ. When I went to Bible school, I knew more than anybody in my, in my year. Why? Because I'd had myself, uh, my own education. I had my Bible, and I learned, and I studied, and I was a great teacher. I told you about that. I told you how awesome I was, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> teach someone. Who can you teach? Who can you tell somebody about your Jesus, about your best friend? Here's the other thing that we do. We just simply invite someone to church. Has anybody ever heard of Peter, the Apostle Peter, who walked on water? Anybody ever heard of him? Roman Catholics believe that he was, in fact, the very first pope. Do you want to know something? You want to know how he came to faith, how he came, became a disciple of Jesus? I'll tell you how. His little brother invited him to church. Well, it wasn't to church. It was to hear Jesus speak out in the desert somewhere. Peter, you got to hear this guy. He's amazing. Personally, I think he might be the one. So Peter says, oh, yeah, whatever. No, I'm serious. Come, Peter, you got to hear this. Peter shows up, hears Jesus speak, and he's hooked. And he knows that he knows that he knows that this, this Jesus is unlike any teacher he's ever heard before, that this is somebody he wants to follow. And all it took was Andrew saying, you got to see this. There's a third thing that we do. We'd go to places like Burundi, to Manila, to the Philippines, to Zambia. We'd go and bring the good news about Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. We'd go and make a difference. When we were there on this last tour, it was Sally and Shane and Pam. They had their clinic. And uh, some of the kids that were coming to the clinic, some of the kids that were part of our uh, village of hope in Burundi, we noticed that there's discoloration in their teeth. Their little bellies were extended. Their hair was actually changing color. And of course, these kids were suffering from malnutrition. Now here's the sad part, is that they didn't really need to suffer from malnutrition because the problem was is that their father was drinking away the meager resources that they had. The father would go drink, and the kids would go hungry. Now, you can call us cultural assassins, if you will, but I would rather believe that we are a people who bring hope. And Sally moved, we were all moved. We all, I think, broken up, really is the right word for it. We, we, we had to do something. And so we arranged so that that family could get a meal once a day at our village of hope. And it happened. Because there were a group of us here at Cross Church who said, we want to go and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We want to go make disciples in all the nations. Look, at, I hear people say, you know, we got to take care of the people in our own backyard. Why are we going to Burundi? we got needy people right here. Don't ever say that to me. I'm serious. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that until you come with me to Burundi and you see for yourself what real suffering is. Because of Sally's heart for these broken, hurting people, they got supper once a day. 
And we brought the message of, of good news, of Christ's love. We brought it to them because Jesus told us to go. And that's why we're there. And there's a family every day blesses God, thanks God because of some Canadians who are just going in obedience to Christ's command. We could tell you 76 or 78 more stories just in Burundi alone of lives that have been changed and touched because people were willing to go and make disciples, to teach them about Jesus, who's their best friend. Teach someone. Get involved, teach Sunday school. Come on a missions trip with us. But go and make disciples because I'm going to tell you this. You have the power with, within you to go and change people's lives and bring hope and bring the abundant life to people in need. This morning was a pretty amazing experience. And I'll tell you why. Sitting right up here in the second row, there's a man by the name of Wayne Sankar. That was just in the first service. He is the father of my daughter Sarah's best friend, one of her best friends. And um, he's here because Sarah did what Andrew did. She invited the family, invited her friend. Interestingly, ironically, it wasn't her friend that came to church, but it was her friend's father who came to church. He started building a relationship and he was, he was here on and off. We found out that he actually had a really bad heart. In fact, the doctor said he could drop dead any minute. Literally every breath he breathed was a miracle. And then one day he got a call and said, get on a plane and get to Edmonton immediately. We're not waiting a week. We're not even waiting an hour or 24 hours. Come immediately. Get on a plane this minute and get to Edmonton. We've got a heart waiting for you. So I got on a plane and I got a phone call. Alan? It wasn't Pastor Alan, Reverend Alan Duncalf. The, the Reverend Alan Duncalf. Is that the Reverend? Just Alan. Because we're friends. Alan, I need you to pray for me. I'm about, I'm standing in front of the Edmonton Hospital here. I'm about to go in to get a new heart. He started to cry and he said, you know, I, uh, this may be the last time I ever see my wife again. It may be the last time I ever see my kids again. His daughters, Gloria, Sarah's age and, and, and younger. And so I, I said, Wayne, you, you've called the right place. Because you see, I happen to, have a best friend. His name's Jesus. We're going to go to Jesus right now. We're going to pray and ask for help. And more than that, Wayne, I want to make sure that you've made your peace with God so that if something should happen, we'll know that you're safe in the arms of Jesus. Because the Bible's clear, you have to put your faith in Jesus. So there we are on the phone. And... Uh, We prayed together, 
He said, Alan, it's strange. I was so scared and so upset and so worried, but all of a sudden I have peace. I just have a real peace. What is that? I don't even know if he would remember that. But what is that? I said, Wayne, God's with you. Because he loves you. And he's promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. I said, phone me when you're done. And he did. He called. And he's been coming to church now, on and off, ever since. In fact, in just a few weeks, you're going to see a video testimony of his. My friends, Wayne had experience with God. Because of the obedience of a young girl by the name of Sarah Duncalf. Go and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Why? Because God loves you and wants you to have a great life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for Wayne's life. Thank you, God, for the miracle that you've done for him. Thank you, God, that tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going for dinner with him to celebrate. I'm going for dinner with Wayne tonight because my daughter Sarah invited him to church. God, I pray right now that you would give us all the courage to reach out to the people around us who are broken and hurting. Give us the courage, Lord, to bring the good news that there's a Savior, there's a God who loves them and cares about them. God, help us not to be afraid. Help us to recognize that people are just waiting. They're just waiting for someone to tell them that God loves them, God cares. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you right now. and pray, especially at this Christmas season, which is historically been such a difficult time for so many people. We pray, God, that you use us especially at this time of the year to bring hope to broken people, to hurting people. And we thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you for saving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell someone beside you, go make a disciple.